My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. This week, we're starting a new Christmas series, and our, our series and our theme that we're going to look at for the next few weeks leading into to Christmas Day is called, What's So Great About Christmas? Now, some years, when we walk through Christmas, we, we focus on the details of the Christmas story. You, you'll hear lots of churches and lots of pastors this time of year say, turn, if you want, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And, and we've already turned to Luke chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to be back in Luke chapter 1 later on. And we're go- So we're going to do some of that, but this year I wanted to take more of a, a zoomed out view of Christmas and to see something different than, than just the manger and the shepherds that we talked about, but to maybe talk about something bigger, to, to look at a larger question. What's so great about Christmas as we come together and we talk about Christmas and what it means and, and we celebrate it and we, we remember and we, we know the story, but but want to remind us that, that Christmas means something. So we're going to talk in some bigger context and some bigger ideas about what's so great about Christmas. And, and to, to do that, we need to go back and find out how and why the first Christmas came to be. And to do that, we need to go back to the very beginning of the story. Uh, Not Luke chapter 1, not Matthew chapter 1, but we need to go much, much further back. And so this morning, where we're going to start our exploration of Christmas and and our exploration of why Christmas matters, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where the story of Christmas begins. And so we're going to begin our journey of looking at Christmas and why it's important in Genesis chapter 12. And then we're going to actually move through the entire Old Testament this morning to discover this thread of Christmas that exists through the Old Testament. So buckle up because we're going to move through a whole bunch of chapters and, and all of that. But in Genesis chapter 12, we read this. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. This is where the story of the first Christmas begins. Now, we're not sure, we don't know why God chose Abram. Or perhaps you'd be more familiar, God's going to change his name later on to Abraham. And so you may be more familiar with the name Abraham. And Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Um, You may be familiar more with Abraham than Abram. But we don't know why God chose him. We don't know why God chose him any more than we know why God chose Mary and why God chose Joseph. But God tells him, I want you to get up and move. Leave behind everything you know and love and start a new life. And this, the reality of this is that this is a really dangerous and scary proposition 
for Abram, for Abraham, because in these ancient times, security and safety and life and all of these things, they were found in your tribe. That, that you, you were safe because you were with a group of people. You were safe because you were home. You were safe because you were with your tribe of people. And God says, I want you to give up all of that safety. Give up all that your family and, your, and all that you have represents. And I want to invite you to go and do something different. But God also makes Abram, makes Abraham a promise. God tells him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now some context to this, Abram or Abraham is about 75 years old and he has no children. Not exactly a recipe for his family growing into a great nation. Getting a little bit of a late start on all of this sort of, your descendants are going to grow into this great nation of which you have none and you're 75 years old. This appears to be the last generation of his family. That it appears as if this was going to be the end of his line. But God's promise is that he'll make his family into a nation and he will make Abram's name great. Which again, his leaving everyone and everything he's ever known doesn't seem like a recipe for making that happen. Other than maybe as a cautionary tale. He may live on as a cautionary tale of your great-great-grandfather Abram. He thought it was a great idea to go out on his own. He thought it was this great idea to go and start his own land and his own country. And look how that turned out for him that that might be the only way that his name lives on from this is as a cautionary tale. But God continues to promise to Abraham, and God tells Abraham that, that nothing is going to get in the way of this blessing. God tells him, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In other words, God tells Abram that God is going to be a part of his story and he's going to tell one amazing story that, that I'm going to be a part of your story and this story I'm going to tell is going to be incredible. It's not just a story that's going to touch the whole world, but it's a story that the whole world is going to know. But at the end of this story, it's, it's not just that the world is going to know, but the whole world will actually be blessed by it. It's not just going to be famous, it's going to be impactful. And everyone, everywhere, at all time, will have the opportunity to be blessed because of this story I'm telling you. Everyone is going to be blessed. Everyone on the planet, everyone that's going to come, they are all going to be blessed by your life and your family, Abram through what I'm about to do through you. That's quite a promise. That, that is quite a promise that God makes to Abram. A promise that seems to be unbelievable. That it's asking him to do a whole bunch of things and asking him to trust in a whole bunch of things that seem counterintuitive to everything that's his, the story that his life has been telling God up until this point. And if you've grown up in church or if you're familiar with your, the story, you know that Abraham and his wife Sarah eventually did have a son and his name was Isaac. 
And Isaac had two sons, one named Jacob and one named Esau. And actually, if, if you read the story and you know the story, it should be Esau's name that's up on here. But Jacob was sneaky. And in fact, if, if you need to feel better about your family, if you need to feel better about your kids, if, if you should really read this part of the Bible. If as we're getting closer to Christmas and the idea of family coming over and in-laws coming over, whatever it may be, and it kind of fills you with dread because you're like, they're crazy. You could read this part of scripture and see and discover that there were people much more dysfunctional than you'll ever be. Much more crazy than you'll ever be. This kind of family reunion that you would discover that if everybody got together as you read through these chapters, you discover that this, will be, this could have been far worse than any Christmas dinner that you're going to have. But back to the story. Eventually Jacob, so, so Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, and eventually Jacob has 12 sons, and 10 of his sons, they don't like their brother named Joseph. And so they decide to throw Joseph into the bottom of a well to get rid of him until a chance to get rid of him and get paid shows up. And so they sell him into slavery and they go home and tell their dad he, he was killed. And through a whole bunch of events that, that we don't have time to recap this morning, I told you we're doing the whole Old Testament, so I can't get into that much detail. Joseph ends up second in command for the entire Egyptian empire. And because of that, the entire line of Abraham ends up saved from a famine, but they all end up moving to Egypt because of it. And while they're in Egypt, they do, in fact, become like a great nation. At least in population. But they essentially become a nation of slaves. They become a nation of people, at least in numbers, but not a nation in terms of land. Not a nation in terms of a home. They're a people without a home. And it's like this for several hundred years. The people who have descended from Abraham, that God was going to bless the world through, it's now been hundreds of years and many, many generations. And they're not a great nation. Abraham's name isn't great. They're not feeling very blessed. And they're certainly not in a position to bless anyone else. I will make you into a great nation, declares the Lord. And for hundreds of years, uh, God, are you there? The people would have known the promises that God had given to Abraham, but they look around and they go, maybe something got lost in translation. Maybe Abraham forgot to write a knot down or something because the road we're on, it's not leading to any of this. But then God, God sends a deliverer, a man named Moses. And without telling you the, the whole story, by the time the story of God and Moses and the people's time in Egypt was finished, no one in Egypt was feeling very blessed by that nation. God's promise was, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by you. 
And God raises up Moses and, and so many amazing things happen. But of all the things that Egypt could say at the end of this about their relationship with Israel, it wouldn't be that they were blessed to have them there. Now again, this is, this is without telling you the whole story. But this nation of people without a home, they're, they're, they're set free from bondage in Egypt. They're set free to go and find a home. And they make their way across the Red Sea and they make their way to what was called the Promised Land, into what was known as the Land of Canaan. It was actually land that God had promised Abram hundreds of years earlier. And he said, I'll bring you back here. And God has, has freed them from Egypt and brought them back there. And as this nation looked to conquer this land, the people who already lived there, the Canaanites, they weren't exactly blessed by this people either. I will make you a blessing to all the peoples of the world. And then they go and kill a bunch of them. So about a thousand years go by after God had made a promise to Abraham. Abraham becomes a family. The family becomes a nation. And ultimately, the nation becomes a kingdom. We know it as the kingdom of Israel. All right, here we go. A thousand years of lead-up has finally brought us to this point. Now God can make some hay on really fulfilling his promises. We, we finally have a real nation and a real opportunity to be a blessing to the people around us. This could make it real. And, and then eventually they have a, have a king named King David. And he's a warrior king. But, but his wars and his victories lead his people and his kingdom into a time of peace with the countries all around them, that, that he wins these wars and wins these battles. And, and partway through his reign as king, there, there's this peace that, that, they do, that they finally come to. And, and this pretty much represents the first time since God made that promise that the descendants of Abraham were really actually in a place to do some good in the world around them. For the first time, they finally had a real opportunity to be a blessing to the world around them. They had some wealth. They had some influence in the world around them. But instead of blessing the world, Solomon, David's son, chose to wander away from what God had for him as king and for, him, for his country, for his people. And, and he married into foreign families and he began to worship other gods. And because of this, God's promise to Abraham had to be set aside for a moment because God had made a promise or made a warning to Solomon. See, God had told Solomon, if you forsake me and if you worship other gods, I will divide your kingdom in half and I will tear down the temple you've built. And we see God fulfill this promise. That, that the promise of Abraham, we're having a little trouble seeing the fulfillment of this. But when God makes this promise about, if you do this, I will divide your kingdom and the temple will be torn out. We see God fulfill that one right away. And after Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel is, is divided. This was their shot to be a blessing. And they missed it. 
They, they would seemingly, as a nation, have, another, have never, they would seemingly never have another shot like this to be a blessing to the people around them like they did here. And for the next couple hundred years, there's essentially chaos in both kingdoms now. After about 300 years, the northern kingdom is invaded by the Assyrian Empire. And about the same time, the southern kingdom is, is on the verge of implosion and captivity. Israel cannot even bless itself. Never mind anyone else. Israel cannot take care of itself. Never mind bless someone else. And right in the middle of this, this turmoil and this chaos, God sends a prophet to the people, a man, a man named Isaiah, to talk to the people for God, to speak to the people on behalf of God. And he writes down his prophecy. All, all this chaos, all this, this lost opportunity, everything seems to be crumbling. And into this, God makes this promise through Isaiah. Isaiah 49, verse 6. God says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. God essentially gives the same kind of promise again that he gave to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a light for the Gentiles. I'm going to do something through you that all the, that, that's so for all the people. That's what Gentile means. Is, is Gentile means not Jewish. And so when God says that, that I'm going to do something for the Gentiles as well as you, he's essentially saying for all the people everywhere. Not just the descendants of Abram, but he's, he's opening up the promise. He's not just saying, I'm going to do this just for you, but I'm going to do something for them as well. I'm going to do something through you that will make you a light to the rest of the world. Now, imagine hearing that in this moment. I'm going to do this through Israel. Well, half of Israel's in captivity. The other half is in disarray and is falling apart at the seams. And into this, God somehow says, I'm going to use you to do all of this. It's absurd. It is, it is absurd. We are not a light to the world. We can't even get our own stuff figured out. Salvation through us? We can't even save ourselves. Nobody is going to look at us as a nation and see anything good. And sure enough, not long after this promise, the, the southern kingdom is invaded as well. And everything is thrown into chaos again for another couple hundred years. Another empire. This time the Babylonians comes and destroys parts of the city of Jerusalem. God's temple is destroyed. The people are carted off into, into captivity. The economy is dead. There's no military left. We saw for a brief fleeting moment an opportunity for God to fulfill his promise. That, that the people of Israel would be a blessing to the whole world. And now it's completely gone. For all intents and purposes, the children of Israel, or ch the children of Abraham, the, the, the country of Israel, it's gone. 
It's gone. Another empire. And in the midst of this chaos that lasts for hundreds of, or for hundreds of more years, God sends another prophet. This time, a man named Malachi. And God says something seemingly impossible that must seem like a joke. Here is what God comes to his people and says to them in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. My name, so God's speaking about himself, my name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets. And he goes on to talk about how any place in the world where people worship God, they will know my name. And I'm sure the people thought to themselves, no, they won't. Your name is being mocked among the nations. Your name is a joke among the nations. Nobody looks at us as a people, looks at us as a nation, looks at us and where we are and goes, wow. Their God must be the God. Let's go worship them. From the view of other nations, our God is pathetic. He can't even take care of his own people. Look at us. If we serve the God of the universe, why are we this? Why are we in captivity? If we serve this great God, why are we like this? We, we can't feed ourselves. We can't protect ourselves. Stop with these promises and these declarations. Your name will not be great. You're so far away from great right now, you have no idea. How about you start with at least giving us our country back? The, the people couldn't hear that. How, how could they? How could they believe that? They've already been ruled over by Assyria, Babylon, Persia. Now the Romans are coming. Empires have risen and fallen, but one thing they all have in common they all had victory over God's people. Being God's people doesn't seem to count for much. And in 63 BC, Rome comes to town. They overrun and conquer Jerusalem and Israel and the whole country is officially annexed into the Roman Empire and Roman rulership is set up. And now everyone and everything is under Roman rule. So, God's promise to Abraham. The people, you will become a great nation. Kind of. For, for just a little while. For, for two kings, one and a half really. Abraham's name will be great. I don't think so. I doubt Caesar knew the name of Abraham. 
And all the nations of the world would be blessed by Israel and by God. I don't think so. Unless you count slave labor as a blessing, which I guess in some ways Rome might, but other than that, they're not a blessing to the world around them. None of their neighboring countries and peoples go, thank God for Israel. Israel's not going to be a light to the Gentiles. And God, he's not going to be worshipped throughout the whole world. Because no one is interested in a God who cannot take care of his own people. If that's what we came together on a Sunday morning and said, turn your heart to Jesus, he will let you down and fail you at every corner. It's not the greatest evangelistic tone that we could have. But, but for God's people, this is the story that they've been telling now for thousands of years. That they have committed themselves that he is our God and we are his people. And we have lived a life of awfulness. There was like a brief 60 years where things seemed to be going okay. And other than that, thousands of years of frustration and other people ruling over us and just all kinds of stuff that is not what is supposed to happen to a people who are blessed. So God, knock it off. Stop telling us about how great things are and just try and make them not terrible. But if you know your Bible... You know that what comes next is the story of the first Christmas. That after the book of Malachi comes the book of Matthew. And this is what makes the story of Christmas so great. This is what makes the story of Christmas so remarkable. Because when things were as hopeless as they could be, when God's promise to Abraham was as out of reach as it could possibly be, when everybody had lost hope, when no one was daring to dare the dream of a great nation, when no one was expecting it, Matthew chapter 1, verse 26, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, when everything had come off the rails, when nothing was the way that it was supposed to be by any definition of the word blessed, the word great, the word light, whatever you want, all of these promises, when all of them were gone, into this moment, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That name might ring a bell. We talked about King David earlier. The virgin's name was Mary. You know what? Just about everybody in the world knows her name. Today and this month, 
all over the world, people are going to be telling stories about this girl named Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And if we jump down to verse 31, the angel continues, You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. And we read this earlier in our service. But now it maybe will take on a little bit of a different meaning or a different picture for you as we've walked through this story. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, the King of Israel. God is going to give him this throne. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants going all the way back forever. And his kingdom will never end. So you see, in the end, God keeps his promise to Abraham. In the end, God does exactly what he said he was going to do. Through Abraham, every single nation, people, tribe, clan, every single person would be blessed because of this Messiah. So, what's so great about Christmas? It's the promises kept in Christmas. In Christmas, we see how God kept his promise to Abraham. And he kept his promise to the whole world. Even when it seemed impossible. Even when it seemed like everything was never, ever further away. God kept his promise. Not through a military. Not through a king, at least as the world saw the king. Not through a ruler, at least the way the world saw a ruler. But through the king of kings and the lord of lords. He kept his promise through a baby. Through a story that the whole world would come to know and through a story that would bless the whole world. Christmas is about God fulfilling his promise. So every time you hear someone mention this story, allow it to serve as a reminder to you that God keeps his promises. And even in your life, if there's promises that you're waiting for, if there's things in your life that you would say, God has, has spoken this to me, and I don't know how this is going to happen. God spoke it to me so long ago, I don't even know if it's a chance that it'll happen anymore. And somebody comes to you and says, Merry Christmas, Tim. May that serve as a reminder to, to all of us, to Tim, but to the rest of us, we replace your name with Tim's, or admit not. God's word is always true. And even in the darkest places and times, God is always working. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that as we come together to celebrate Christmas, 
God, I thank you that the, at the heart of this, we come together today and we celebrate your great faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And as we come together and we remember Christmas and we celebrate Advent and we, we sing Christmas carols and we decorate the church and we do all of these things to celebrate your coming. God, I thank you that your coming is your faithfulness. That your coming was that you would make the line of Abraham into a great nation and through that nation the world would be blessed. And I thank you that in this moment, when we remember the birth of our Savior, we know that in that moment, the world was blessed. And so God, I pray for each one of us that need hope, for each one of us that need peace, for, for each one of us that are looking for something in our lives, that are looking for the Lord to do something, that are looking for something to take place. Maybe it's just the longing of our heart. Maybe it's a promise that's been made to us. God, this year, may every time somebody wishes us Merry Christmas, may that spring up into our heart, a reminder of your faithfulness. God, I thank you that, that there is so much great about Christmas. And that today, as we remember Christmas, we remember your faithfulness. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at HillsideAirdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, HillsideAirdrie.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. to